Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today, Mr. Dave Sanderson. Now, on January 15, 2009, Dave was one of the last passengers off the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, best known as the Miracle on the Hudson. And because of that experience, in helping make sure other people's made it out safely, he authored a book called Moments Matter. Uh, and today he has his own radio show on Contact Talk Radio and C-Suite Radio called Moments Matter with Dave Sanderson. Now, he shares the 12 skills that he learned when he was director of security for Anthony Robbins uh, that he employed that day on the Hudson and also in his prior sales career, which expanded over 30 years. Uh, he has a TEDx talk called Bouncing Back, and he shares strategies on how to grow from your personal plane crash in life known as post-traumatic growth syndrome. And I'm looking forward to talking about that. Dave, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve, thank you for having me. Excited to be with you today. Well, we're thrilled to hear about your experience and uh, it, to get some wisdom and insight from you. But before we do, why don't you share what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Well, I appreciate it because work has been pretty predominant. But uh, I made a commitment, Steve, over the next three months until the 10th, upcoming, upcoming on the 10th anniversary of the plane crash that was America on the Hudson to connect with each one of my friends uh, in my contact book. And it's, it's amazing because sometimes we get going so busy on business we forget to connect with our friends. So I, every day I spend at least uh, you know, about 30 minutes making those connections, and it's been, that's been really fun to do, funny how well, people are yeah, that's awesome, Dave, and what a great idea for all of us. I know uh, most of us in business are, are so busy and so consumed by work that a lot of times we forget that we need to develop those friendships. Uh, thanks for reminding us of all of that, and uh, congrats on doing such a great thing. Well, we're, we're working on it because, you know, sometimes you forget that uh, these are our <laughs> friends and people that got us where we're all those, all those moments that do matter. Well, uh, we really appreciate it, and great idea. 
Now, let, let's turn and talk a little bit. Uh, I, I think all of us are familiar with the miracle on the Hudson, and uh, it, it captured the heart of the entire country because it was such uh, an amazing story of how preparation saved a crew and, uh, and a ton of passengers. It was just a miracle. And I think it, uh, the miracle on the Hudson is a great name for it. But if you would, just uh, so that we can get an idea of how you went from there, uh, tell us a little bit about that day and what really sticks out as your main memories through it. Well, thank you. That, that, that day will always uh, it'll live with me every day in Canley. Something new comes up every day about it. So here's the short version, Steve, that A, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane. I was working in a distribution center in my sales position at that moment, and I was, uh, we started our day at 5 a.m. because distribution centers, if you've never worked inside them, open up very early in the morning. The one we were in that day in Brooklyn, New York, opened up at 2 a.m. So, and number one, we started early. So we got done early, which means I could catch an earlier flight after a three-day business trip. So, number one, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane. Nothing extraordinary about the day. You know, and I boarded, you know, just like everybody else, I was one of the first people to board because of my status. I was a top producer, you know, mile-wise with U.S. Airways, so I got to board, one of the first people to board. So I went to 15A, and I was on a window seat, and nothing out of the ordinary until I heard the explosion on the plane. And it was a loud explosion, so it sort of got my attention. And that's when I sort of looked up and looked out the window. I saw fire coming out from the left wing. So, you know, I knew something had happened, but... I flew so often, I still fly often, is that no planes have multiple engines, so I thought the plane blew an engine and you know, no big deal. He's gonna go we're gonna go back to LaGuardia. So, you know, until we started coming over the George Washington Bridge, I don't think anybody, including myself, thought too much what was gonna happen. But uh, then we heard those famous words from uh from the cockpit, this is this is your captain brace for impact and that's when I think everybody knew that it was serious at that point and we were roughly uh, roughly around about 1,000 feet because we were clearing the bridge of roughly 400 feet, and the George Washington Bridge is about 600 feet. So somewhere between 900,000 plus feet and going descending quickly. So I think that was the moment that I think I and probably pretty much everybody else thought that this, uh, this probably isn't going to end too well. And, you know, and that's when you sort of start checking in with all the things in, uh, in your life. And I think I tell people I, it was amazing for me that I saw the movie of my life sort of pass through my head really quickly. You know, I saw things I hadn't seen for many years, but, you know, fortunately we got down in one piece, but the second part of the equation is getting out because the water started coming in the plane so quickly that, candidly, that was, to me, the, the, the tougher situation. I mean, there's nothing I could control going down, but I could control getting out. Mm -hmm. um, and so where I was sitting, water was somewhere between uh, about the knee to mid-thigh level. It was up to the waist level in the back, so... It was about that. So, but when I got to the aisle, because I was just getting out just like everybody else, Kenley, I my game plan was get to the aisle, get up, and get out. But, you know, Steve, when I, I got to the aisle, all of a sudden my mom started talking to me. And what I heard in my head from my mother is something she told me when I was a child: was if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And and you know, you know, to me, what <laughs> excuse me, one of the things that stand out about that moment for me is my mother said if. See, one thing I learned about my mother after she passed away in 1997 is my mother did something that was extremely smart and Kenley, I wish I had done more often with my kids and, and probably other people too, is my mother made me make decisions. She mm -hmm. uh, wasn't like do the right thing. It was like if you do the right thing. 
So and you know, whatever choice I was going to make was the right choice, but the choice I made was to go back to in the back of the plane, see if anybody needed help, and got behind everybody and started making my way out like everybody else and behind everybody. And the first light that I saw was a 10F on the right. Started to get out, but candidly, there was um, no room on the wing for me, no room on the boat for me, and that's why I was inside the plane for roughly about six to seven minutes, waist deep in 36 degree water, uh, until I finally had to um, get out because I felt the plane shift, and at that point, I thought the plane was going down. I mean, we were about six, seven minutes into it, water was already up to my back, and I thought it was going down, and the first thing that I thought about was Titanic. I said, man, you know. Yeah, I remember seeing that movie, but when the boat tipped straight up in that movie, it sucked everybody in, in the boat down. And my thought was, don't be sucked down in a plane. And that's why I jumped in and swam to the closest boat that I could find, and that's how I got off the plane. But that's when things started changing for me dramatically. And there's a lot of learning experience, not only getting through that and some of the leadership skills that I learned by being not only with Tony, but my sales career and all the people in my life that uh, gave me these uh, these insights. But uh, I was learning a lot of things about myself and really where, where I needed to start at focusing my time, and, and um, that's how my life started to change. Well, it's, uh, I think all of us uh, would have wondered if we would panic and what we would do. And you clearly uh, were contemplating what to do. You were thinking. You were rational. Uh, and, but a, a uh, trauma like this can really change people. And I, you mentioned that it really, uh, as bad as this experience was, you took it and you went from there. And uh, what are some of these key lessons that you began to learn as you recovered from this type of trauma? Well, that's a great question. Uh, there's a couple quick things. Number one is I realized that uh, I was focusing my time in the wrong direction, where I was making decisions. I, I'll give you a point of perspective. I worked for companies for 30-plus years. I was a top producer in every company, sales producer in every company. Um, so, you know, I was focused on getting the outcome and getting results. So I would schedule my time, Steve, around my job instead of sitting around my family, and I realized that I left a lot of things around my family undone. Um, you know, I missed a lot of things, especially with my two oldest daughters. And... You know, no wonder my eldest daughter was having some challenges, you know, because candidly, I wasn't there. So one of the biggest changes I made is now, and then from that point on, I, I made a commitment that I would focus my time, I would schedule family events first, and then go back and schedule everything around it. And candidly, that was challenging to some of the people that I was working with and where I was working at Oracle. Um, but it changed my relationship with my family, and which meant a lot more than what I was doing in sales. And I think, I, I think uh, Dave, I just, I've, I've got to interject here because okay. I think that uh, the majority of people listening, which are all managers, leaders of companies, uh, they go through this all the time. They, they wind up prioritizing their company to the detriment of their families. And only later in life do they wake up and say, my gosh, what did I do? And but so many people will never, even when they hear it, they won't take make a decision to change what they were doing. They let the work become who they are instead of recognizing who they are. So in, in your case, uh, as you began to recognize that 
look, I need to devote time to my family. I, I can still be a leader. I can still be successful. Uh, tell us how you kind of walk through that mentally uh, so those of us that are contemplating the same thing right now, Mike, can learn from your journey and how you walk through that analysis. I would, that's a great distinction because I'll share with you the moment it hit me and then how I addressed it. The moment it hit me, Steve, is when CBS wanted to do an interview with my family and candidly my wife and not let anybody in our house to do interviews. I'd always have to do them outside because she just didn't want to have the family involved. Well, we, she agreed to do it, so we interviewed the family. And my daughter, who, who's the one who actually got the voicemail that I left that I was in a plane crash, uh, was going to be interviewed like all of us. And when she got, they got to her, I was thinking, oh, my God, what's she going to say? Because I don't know if anybody here is listening has had a 16-year-old daughter, but sometimes they're not happy. <laughs> sometimes That's they're not true. even happy with their family. So that was what we were going through. And, she, and I was like, oh, my God, I was dreading it. So what she, what she said on the TV was, I thought my dad was a jerk, and I'm like, oh, my God. But I found out he was pretty cool. And that was the moment I realized, you know what, I need to spend more time. So how I did it, and, you know, my vice president um, was more supportive than I can leave some of the other people, but I, I started using technology in a different way. So, I, you know, what I tell people, when I, when I do my teaching in my personal leadership classes, see, I tell people, your cell phone can be a, be a hindrance or a tool. And I figured out how to use it as a tool. So I would, I would schedule and go to all these events. I would not miss an event, whether it's a basketball game, a, a meeting with the kids, whatever it was. But I would always have my phone there and my plug in my ear. And candidly, I would, I would listen to the conference calls or interact while I was there. But I would, not, I would always physically show up. And that meant more, I think, than even being involved, that they saw me present. So I really started using technology in a way where I would, before I've gone to my office where I'm sitting now and sit to take the call or do a video call, I started doing that, and that changed everything. I would be doing calls from basketball games and being there for my daughter who I was doing books for for the team and still listen to the call, but, you know, leave she saw me there, and that's all I meant. Well, there's no substitute for presence, is there? No. There, that's, I mean, like I said, I think what meant more to everybody else was being present was more than being there and sort of watching what's going on, you know? I totally agree. And I, and I think that uh, just to relate it to business, I think business people are guilty of the same thing with their employees. Uh, they don't spend time with them. And then they wonder why everybody thinks they are a jerk. Well, they don't know you. And the only way you get to know people is to spend time with them. And that's an investment in success every bit as much as it is to know systems and processes and to go get sales and all of the things that you are required to do as a leader in a business. So it's really important, I think, for us to understand that these moments of life that teach us that our presence is what people value uh, we've got to all think more about that, don't we, Dave? I think I, I totally agree. And, you know, one of the things I did, Steve, also for the people who worked with me and for me is I started asking one of the questions I asked myself that day on the plane, which now I ask it myself every day, because I wanted to find out what was driving them. Because, Canley, if I could get a team alignment who were happy, and I didn't have to show up. I could leave the team and – because a lot of times, Kenley, I, 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 was, I was guilty of this. I wouldn't trust the team. I had to be there. 
But once I started understanding how it would drove them, and some people wanted to step up and be a leader, and what I learned on the plane that day is, you know, I stepped up as a leader, but sometimes as a leader, you can be in the best leadership role to step back and let somebody else who has a better skill set do it and give them the leadership role. And Because one of the questions I asked people is, do you want to be in charge or do you want to be in control? And once I figure out do they want to be lead, be in charge of the leader or do they want to control things, then I know how to help them, you know, get their outcomes. And that, that also helped me but have not to show up at several meetings where I could trust people to get things done and I could just orchestrate instead of, uh, you know, be there hands-on. I, I love that question, Dave, I, and I'm going to use it often. Uh, I've not heard it put exactly like that. Uh, do you want to be in charge or do you want to be in control? Yeah, my and, first mentor. Uh, that's Steve, a my, great question. My first mentor, which I'm, I'm sharing some different insights with now about him, he, he asked me that back in the late 80s when I was just a young buck, and he took me under his wing, and he was my first mentor, owned 80 movie theaters in North and South Carolina, and was a multimillionaire, but he drove a, he, all I knew about him when I first met him, he wore a flannel shirt and drove a pickup truck. And all of a sudden I found he was a Sam Walton of Charlotte, and he had all this wisdom, and he took me under his wing. And that's one of the questions he asked me, do you want to be in charge, do you want to be in control? And back then I wanted to be in control. But he was teaching me those lessons that the real leaders are the ones who want to be in charge and seize control to other people. And that's, that's what, what started opening up in my sales career to start being a top producer is when I started doing that. It's uh, amazing at how one thing leads to another. And uh, one lesson leads to another lesson, which leads to another. And before you know it, uh, you're learning that you don't have to be in control. Right. And uh, that's a, a beautiful place to be. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in this uh, constant. I had never heard of the concept uh, post-traumatic growth syndrome. Uh, I wonder if you would, would you kind of explain what that means uh, in your terms so that our listeners can understand? Well, thank you, because, Canley, I had never heard of it either until about four years ago when I was approached uh, to do an interview. Now, I do a lot of interviews for magazines and you know, TV, because I'm very honored to be able to do that. And AARP magazine approached me and wanted to interview me, and I tell people I didn't know why they wanted to interview me. I, I didn't know anything about them. And, Canley, Steve, I thought I was too young anyway. ARPs for old people, right? What could I teach old people, right? <laughs> and but they 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 said they found out from somebody. I found out who they did it. it was a gentleman in Dallas told them that I had helped the American Red Cross raise over eight million dollars at that point, and they wanted to understand the strategies I used to really grow from this thing. Where other people who went through the plane crash and other extreme circumstances went into depression. And so I agreed to do the interview, and then they shared this term called post-traumatic growth syndrome, and it's how people, taking the strategy and how people grow from traumatic life events instead of going into a depressed state or even worse, PTSD or even worse. So they were using me as sort of the, um, sort, of, I, I, sort of a symbol or somebody who's actually done it, and so I sort of grabbed onto it. I was like, you know what, I figured out that, and after talking to all these people I got to meet with, I mean, I went to... Fort Hood in Texas after that first situation and after Oklahoma after the tornadoes and after hurricanes over the last several years. I mean, it's, I talked to people and I found out there's so many people who go through these experiences that immediately go into depression because they don't know how to handle it. They don't have, they're, not, they're not managing things correctly. And so what I try to do is give them some ways that they can grow from this and add value instead of going into that depressed state. Well, I, I think it's awesome, and uh, I, I personally have read the article 
uh, on AARP, and it's it's really excellent. Uh, but uh, rather than quote the article, one of the things that I'd like for you to do is kind of help us understand what are some of those steps. Because I think every one of us has been through some uh, level of trauma. It could be from losing a job unexpectedly to, to losing uh, a, a family member uh, to experiencing uh, a very uh, strong health scare. I mean, there are people that go through trauma all the time. And yet, many people wind up stuck there. They never get out of it. They never move forward. Uh, what are some of your tips that you've learned that will help us to move forward with our life and to us uh, to really learn how to grow? Oh, thank you. I, you know, there's, a, there's, there's a few ways that I, I've done and I talk and teach about, but I would probably leave it with two, two different things. Number one is something that, you know, me, I've had the privilege and honor of, you know, being Tony Robbins security director for over 10 years um, and calling him a friend and calling him a mentor. And, you know, like he talks about success leaves clues. So one of the things he talks about and taught me and teaches pretty much everybody is the meaning you attach to something produces the emotion of your life and emotion is your life. And if, if you understand what that means is you can attach a meaning to anything. You can attach a positive or a negative meaning to anything, and, and it all becomes, you know, it starts with becoming conscious of the meanings that you're constantly creating. Where most people just go through life and they, they attach a meaning immediately. They don't even understand why they're attaching that meaning. And that came to light for me when I was in the green room of one of the TV shows I was on with a few other passengers, and I saw one of them that got very angry. And, you know, I was like looking at him like, what's wrong with him? But, you know, he, we had a, the same situation, but his meaning was this is a horrible situation. This, I was devastated. You know, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And I took the meaning away. This is a blessing. And I said, what's the difference? And, and so I started thinking about if I became conscious of these meanings, which I do, I can attach positive meanings to anything and effectively change the direction of my life. And so that's one, one way I tell and share people how to do it. Uh, and I was, there's a few others, but the other one that I really love talking about is it's called about the virtual referencing, and people say, well, what's virtual referencing? And, and that came to light for me of where I'm sitting right now. As I was, as, uh, you know, my wife got a phone call from one of our neighbors, and it was a couple older ladies, and they were having problems with their TV. And I tell people, you do anything for your neighbors, right? I mean, they're such they, older ladies. So my wife called me where I'm sitting right now, the same seat, and asked me I'd help them. And I said, of course, I go down there and help them. Of course, I'm pretty good at TVs anyway, Steve. I know how to turn TV on. I'm good at turning TVs on. <laughs> I'm a skill set that I'm a master at, right? So, you know, it took me five seconds, and they asked me if I'd stay for milk and cookies. I said, of course. Who's going to turn down milk and cookies, right? I love milk and cookies. How about you? And I love milk and cookies, especially from two older ladies could probably bake, right? So uh, as they're getting milk and cookies, I'm down there looking, sitting on their couch, looking at some books they had on their coffee table, and one of them was, a book of concentration camps, pictures of concentration camps. And I love World War II history, so I'm into this thing. Man. I'm looking at this thing, like, whoa, this is pretty cool. And all of a sudden, they walked out and said, hey, where did you get this stuff? And all of a sudden, they looked at me, and they all of a sudden, both rolled up their sleeves and showed me the numbers down their arms. And I said, wow. whoa. They said they were there. And, wow. all sudden, and all of a sudden, Steve, I said, can you let me record this? Because, I mean, they're older, right? You want to get the story before they die. They said, you can't record it, but we'll tell you our story. So for their next few hours, I sat there listening to how so, excuse me, somebody survives one of the most horrific situations in the history of the world. How they did it, 
not only survive, but thrive, to have jobs, grew together, had a beautiful house and a beautiful neighborhood. And also I'm thinking, you know, if other people get a point of perspective that's worse than theirs, maybe that'll wake them up and say, you know what, they survived, how can I survive? And that's what I started doing, is making, connecting people through virtual references that I've met and other people I've, because nowadays you can get hold of anybody. I mean, that's you know, true. and so it's not like it was when maybe you and I were young where your mom would tell you to go to the library, go to the Cyclopedia Britannica, and you had to read about it. Now you can go online within seconds get a hold of somebody. And So now what I do is help people who've gone through that and show them how to do it and meet with people and say, you know what, you think you had a bad day, you may have Let's talk to somebody who started to uh, survive a concentration camp, or let's talk to somebody who was in Somalia who grew up with no food. Let's talk to somebody. And all of a sudden, they get a point of perspective. So those are two of the many things that I talk about, how to grow from traumatic life experience, which I call personal plane crash. Well, I, I love uh, the perspective, and those are tremendous tips. And there, we need to understand that uh, as social beings, we truly need uh, to think about how we can look at things in a positive manner. And uh, you really are helping us a lot to do that today. Uh, Dave, I know people are going to want to learn how to connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing. Uh, why don't you share how they can best connect with you? Well, thank you for that opportunity because I love connecting with people. As you can tell, when I talk, started off, right, it's, like it's one of my goals right now for the people I've connected with. <laughs> Um, so the best way is go to my website at davesandersonspeaks.com. That's pretty much you can get a hold of me by email through that or by voicemail. I, I respond to everybody who comes on. And the other best way is I'm doing a lot of work right now on LinkedIn and sharing a lot of my business content of business, personal leadership and business uh, on LinkedIn and some of those, these lessons. So that's my LinkedIn name is David Sanderson. I love to connect with you on LinkedIn likewise. Awesome. And uh, for those of you that are exercising, as always, we'll be sure to include a link uh, to make it easy for you to find Dave. Uh, Dave, uh, as we close today, we here at Manager Mojo like actions. And I, I, I would appreciate it if you would give uh, our listeners maybe your top two action items that they can take from your experience and begin to apply in their own life. What would be those two action items that you'd want them to consider doing today? Well, I appreciate that. So one is something I learned by having the opportunity and honor to escort a gentleman named General Norman Schwarzkopf. And I had that opportunity back uh, several years ago when I was with Tony. And when I was with him, one of the things he shared with me, we were talking about leadership and how he sort of did it. And one of the things he shared is like, you know, when given the opportunity to lead, lead. Don't back down. You're given that opportunity to step up. So. You know, and that happened on the plane that day. People had to step up who probably weren't thought of themselves as leaders but had this personal leadership skills that came to the forefront. So, number one, when given the opportunity to lead, lead. Don't back down. Second, you know, what I, and I mentioned this earlier, you can use, use your mobile phone or your, you know, your whatever you want to use for that device as a tool. And I share with people how by, by setting up a system, which I have done, and I show people how to do this in my workshops, is a system how you can get set up notifications to remind yourself of not only your commitment to yourself, but your commitment to the team, your, your, whether it's your department team, whether it's your local team. And all of a sudden, it's, it's a way that ingrains in you that it's not the reps you have to do. It's not I don't have to make 15 sales calls a day or make 25 phone calls. It's that, the kind of person you need to be. And this is something my 
first mentor shared with me, and I've heard it from a Super Bowl coach that I had the opportunity to speak with personally and heard it from some other leaders that they've done this with their teams, and I've seen it, how it radically changes the approach on how the interaction and how teams come together when you do this. So those are probably two actual items I would uh, leave the team, leave people with. Both of which are outstanding, Dave. And Dave, uh, you certainly have blessed all of our lives today by sharing uh, what could have been a life-changing traumatic experience and you've taken it and learned how to turn it into a positive for your, the growth, not only of yourself, but also of your family. Uh, we thank you very much uh, for the positive actions you took uh, on the Hudson River that day. And more importantly, uh, the legacy you'll leave to the rest of us, which is to continue to share the experiences that you've had and uh, you're showing us all how to live a great life no matter what. Thank you for your wisdom today, and we wish you nothing but continued success here at Manager Mojo. Thank you for what you're doing, too, about team leadership. I'm all into it, and I, I would lo love to share your story likewise. Thank you very much, Dave.